This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The button pushing stops here. Plug the radio in. Thank you for joining us, everyone. You're listening to Evidence for Faith, the show that explains the benefits of Christianity for personal happiness and pleasure. I'm Keith Hendricks. Hello, and I'm Kirk Hastings. And today's topic is the search for truth. What is truth? Our website is evidenceforfaith.com. Check us out at the website and emails at evidenceforfaith.com. That's evidence the number four faith.com. Well, Kirk, I hope you had a great week. Yeah, pretty good. The weather's beautiful here. Yeah, it's nice. Nice. Near Atlantic City, it's been not too bad this week. A little on the cold side, but not too bad for us. Well, have you heard the news about this Penn State assistant football coach, Jerry Sandusky? Who hasn't? (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's been front and center for a few days now. But this has brought up a lot of discussion about the relationship between homosexuality and pedophilia, because it seems like this is a repeat of the pedophilia cases that the Catholic Church went through a number of years back, and it seems to be largely by men who are gay. So that's opened up a a big can of worms. There's an email I got from Summit Ministries that talked about a couple of studies, so I thought I'd mention those. There was uh, one study that showed that nearly 60% of male adolescents who later became homosexuals suffered sexual abuse as children. So now that, to me, and I remember reading about a study that was done by The Blade, which is a, a, a gay magazine, where they questioned their readership, and this was done back in the 80s, and they said that 80% of their readership had been molested as children. Wow. Yeah. Then they mention another study that showed that 80% of the victims of sexual abuse at the hands, let's see, let me just read this clearly here, at the hands of priests are male, and most of the priestly molesters had been gay. So that's uh, specifically looking at the the priest problem. So, So that is sad commentary on what is going on, but it does show that the issue is not a genetic one, as uh, many scientists have said. All right. Let's see. There's another item. This one is from Chuck Colson's Breakpoint, and it's some research. Very interesting. I love these sociology studies, Kirk, that talk about you know why we behave the way we do, and, and they do these studies where they'll have people volunteer to do certain tasks, and they think that they're being tested on, you know, some aspect, and it turns out that they're really actually being examined for something completely different. Hmm. So 
this is a kind of an interesting one. This is by researchers Rob Weiler, Ko Kuwabara, and Michael Macy. And it says one of the experiments involved wine tasting, okay, in which participants evaluated both the wine but also one another's wine tasting skills. Okay, okay so the participants were given three samples of wine. And in reality, all three samples were from the same bottle. <laughs> One of them had even been tainted with vinegar. Okay, so you got identical wine, except that one of them is tainted with vinegar, right? Now, and remember, you're supposed to not only test the wine yourself, but you're also supposed to judge how well the other people in the group did. So before they delivered their evaluation, they listened to the other participants. Now, here's where the research comes in. The other participants were plants, okay? They were, they were actually researchers. They were, they were play acting. And they not, actually, not actually potted plants, we should mention. <laughs> yes, yeah, this, right, that's right. This is uh, radio, so we can't show a picture of a person. Uh, we have to say plants, and it's just, not a Just fact. a little they're, joke there, Keith. Very little, right? right? And it's not, they're not factories either. Okay. <laughs> no. So these were... Spies. <laughs> yeah, spies would be good. There you go. Infiltrators. <laughs> yep, exactly. So they praised the vinegar-laced wine as the best. Okay. Huh. So so Okay, so now, what do you think the the real people that they were examining said about the wine? Well, they were probably swayed by that opinion and said, "Oh yeah, this is pretty good." <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So about half of the participants went against their own taste buds and <laughs> And they joined in praising the vinegary uh, wine. Okay. So now, even more interesting is the uh, next part. Another participant, okay, who was also a plant, told the truth about the wines. Okay, so they had only one guy who told the truth. Now, when you get to the part where the participants were evaluating each other, some of them were allowed to evaluate the other participants confidentially, but other ones had to do it publicly, okay? Yeah. So, so can you guess what happened? The ones who gave their evaluations confidentially praised the truth teller, right? So okay. in secret, they said, oh, this guy was right on. Man, that wine tasted terrible. Okay. But but those who evaluated the truth teller publicly, guess what they did? They turned on him? <laughs> yep, they did. They turned on him and gave him low marks, right? Don't because, they also kind of call this the mob mentality? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is people trying to get along with the crowd no matter what their own personal beliefs are. Okay. So the researchers called this phenomenon false enforcement. Right, which they defined as, quote, the public enforcement of a norm that is not privately endorsed. Okay. <laughs> so it's about popularity, right? You know, it, and getting I, along with one another. <laughs> that's right. And they say it's the desire to, quote, avoid a negative social judgment from one another's peers, close quote. Okay. <laughs> Colson goes on to say, simply stated, out of a desire to avoid reprisal or isolation, people go along with what they think is the popular opinion, even if they object to that opinion personally. Instead of voicing their objections, they remain silent. So isn't that sad? Yeah. 
And, well, you know, you can apply this to what we were just talking about, about homosexuality, because you can apply it to the homosexual marriage issue. How many people are out there publicly voicing their objection to same-sex marriage? And yet, if when it comes to a vote, what happens? 70-80% of the people will vote against laws for same-sex marriage, but yet they won't say anything public because they're afraid. They're ashamed. They don't want to be the person who gets picked on by the group. Right. And people are getting picked on more and more for holding a, uh, an anti-gay view today. Oh, you can think, you know, think about what was going on in the Weimar Republic prior to World War II. There was a very hostile movement coming out about hating the Jews, and the people who disagreed were silent. Right. And it just allowed the mob to take over. Right. Yeah, that's a good example. There's when a book something about becomes this. cool, everybody wants to get on board with it. Yeah, yeah. But weren't you telling me about a book about this, about mob rule? Yeah, Ann Coulter's new book that she just came out with is about the mob mentality and how that affects uh, political movements. Yeah, absolutely. So this is human nature to not express what you really believe and just go along with the crowd. And that is uh, really a shame. Hopefully, yeah. fewer and fewer of us will do that. And one way to avoid doing that is to really be a staunch supporter of the truth. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, the search for truth. So what is truth? Well, Kirk, you wrote a book on this. Yeah, I was just going to say, that sounds like a great book title. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so don't give away the answer just yet, but what kind of things do you think people would say today? How would they answer this question, what is truth? Oh, geez, you probably get as many different answers as you have people. Yeah, everybody seems to gotta have an opinion, and one of the things they'll say is that my opinion is as good as your opinion. Right. My, there's such a thing as my truth. And your truth, right? Isn't that what people say truth is today? Truth is whatever you believe in your heart. Well, it might be true for me, but it's not true for you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that you'll hear, in fact, I just heard this. Our guest, Joe McGinnigan, was doing a talk at Stockton College, and I was there to hear it. And he asked the kids, what is truth? Because he was about to get into his talk on assumption jujitsu and we actually got that answer about the whatever is uh, you believe in your heart and then the the second response was truth is whatever science says it is or has been proved scientifically okay so those are the kinds of extremes that you get out there and that's what we have to deal with today we you know, people just don't understand what truth is, and so they give these false views of truth, and they think that those are really, that they're really talking about truth. They, they don't think that those are actually false statements. I think a lot of people are confused today between the difference between truth and opinion. You know, they give an opinion and they say, well, that's true for me. Okay, it may be your true opinion, but that doesn't mean that it represents truth, what you're saying. They're two different things. Yeah, that's right. It's like they're talking about somebody's perspective on something or their view of something. Like, oh, if you two or three people saw a car accident, you know, you would get different 
accounts, right? Not everybody sees everything. And even if they do see the same thing, they're not seeing it in the same way. So they have a different perspective on it. Right. And so you'll get a little bit of a dissimilar story. So people somehow, because we're all familiar with that occurrence, people seem to think that somehow that means that there are different truths. So if, it, if I say the car was red and you say the car was blue, well, it was red for me and it's blue for you. Well, that's not really the case. Well, that uh, means that one of you is colorblind. <laughs> yeah, it could be. That's a perfect example of what could have happened. People, things can distort your vision, and so you didn't really get a good look, and so you don't actually know what the truth is. You're just giving, in that case, you are giving your opinion. So we don't want to give our opinion as truth, right? Right. Truth is something different from just our opinion. Well, so if, what, I'm, if I'm not giving this away prematurely, truth is reality. Whatever reality is, that's truth. Nope, that's not premature. That's perfect timing. <laughs> Exactly right. I've been dying to say that for the last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there you go. We told, okay, so we told everybody what is truth. Now I guess we're done. Okay. We'll so, see you next week. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, no, not really. Stay tuned, everybody. So Kirk is absolutely right. Truth is that which matches reality or the way Joe McGinnigan would say it, the actual state of affairs or condition of things. Right. Right. That's what truth is. Truth is the way things really are. And there can be only one truth. Yes. There can be different opinions of what truth is, but there can only be one actual reality behind those opinions. Absolutely. And, you know, Kirk, even if we couldn't have given that definition of truth, we still expect truth in the real world. Oh, sure. Right? I mean, when you're talking to your doctor, or you're on the phone to a lawyer, or you're talking to your car mechanic, don't you expect to be told the truth? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. want to be told the truth. People want to know what the truth is. They don't want to be deluded, right? Definitely. Well, sometimes people will make a distinction between that kind of truth and the truth of religion or morality and I say that is illegitimate. You should expect the truth from your pastor, too. Sure. So, you know, I've, it's I've always... not just opinion what your pastor has to say. It is something that is either true or false. And as we get in, we'll get more into what truth is. You'll see why that is. I've always believed that religious truth should be the same as any other kind of truth. It's either yeah. reflects the reality about the situation or it doesn't. That's right. That's There's right. no yeah, separate I, thing in life that's called religious truth that's different from all other truths. That that uh, doesn't make any sense. That's right. And some people try to make it that way. You know, they try to put it off limits to truth. And, you know, that's not really the case. They'll, they'll say, well, that's just your perception or that's just your opinion. But it may be that... They just don't want to be told what is true in religion or morality. They don't want to be told, you know, that maybe what they're doing isn't right. Or they would rather believe in what they believe in, whether it's true or not, because they're comfortable with that. That's right. If it gives them comfort, if it makes them feel better, sometimes they will just say, no, that's the truth. 
that's my truth. Right. And and I don't care about, you know, you have your own truth, what's true for you. We like to kid ourselves as long as it makes us feel good. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about some false views of truth. And it's these are a couple of things that we have talked about in the past because it's so prevalent today, some of these false views. Oh, my God. Gave you. Yeah. It's amazing the past 30 or 40 years how difficult it has become to ascertain what is truth and what isn't. Yeah. There's a concept called relativism, and this is the view that truth is different for every person. Now, some people will apply that only to religious ideas or to morals, but some people actually apply that to all forms of truth, and they just don't believe that there's an objective truth out there, even about reality, even about the world in which we live. I think those people have real problems when they go to their car mechanic or their doctor, though, <laughs> because ultimately I think this, this philosophy, this way of thinking just doesn't hold up. And their beliefs must, must end up clashing with reality quite often, and I'll bet that's quite a shock for them when it does. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, yeah, for instance, I'm, if you believe that a chair is going to support you and you sit on it and it doesn't, you fall on the floor, It's that's pretty shocking. <laughs> yeah, especially since I thought their truth was that the chair would support them. Right. What happened? Yeah. Yeah, isn't their truth true? <laughs> Apparently not. So, and, I'm, and I guarantee you, Kirk, I guarantee you that they look both ways before they cross the street. I would think so. Yeah, they don't just think, oh, there are no cars, I'm crossing. Right. Although I have had that happen to me. So I really it's it's well yeah, you know it's it's weird. A, a lot of times I have to go into the city for for work and a lot of times you drive in poor neighborhoods and they just walk right out into the street. They just don't care. You know, that's true now that you mention that. I've even noticed that around here sometimes, especially in the summer if you're driving along like in Ocean City or somewhere and a person is crossing the street they often won't even turn their head and look at you. They'll just keep going like they figure, well, if I ignore that car, it's not there and it's not going to hit me. <laughs> and, yep. you know, thank thank God for them that, you know, often we are paying attention and we stop for them. But some driver that may not be paying attention is going to run right over them. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. And I'm Kirk Hastings. And we're talking about the search for truth. Well, Kirk, we're talking about relativism, and there's a form of relativism that's more specific that's called subjectivism, and it says that truth is what somebody feels inside them. So if you feel it inside you, then it must be true. This actually happened, unfortunately, during a jury case that I was involved in where everyone on the jury panel was certain that this guy, once they'd heard the evidence, they were certain that the guy was guilty. But there was one holdout who said that they, they felt inside. They had a piece about it that the person was innocent. And so they hung the jury and got him off of a lot of charges based on this. Wow. Really, really sad. Completely unwilling to listen to evidence to see that there was truth because of what they felt inside. And, you know, I just can't imagine the harm that that caused. The poor 
victim had to go through all the horror of testifying over again. Everything had to be retried and the cost to the state and it just ima- unimaginable damage done by this one person, because, but they felt good inside. So what actually happened there? Did, did it end up being a hung jury and they had to retry the guy? Yeah, exactly Did they right. find him guilty the second time? I have no idea. I was only on the one panel. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, let's so hope I, if I mean, he was guilty, the, they the did. The evidence was completely convincing. So, uh, right. you know, really, you, you had to, I don't know, have an IQ of 40 to think that, <laughs> uh, you know, to not, not believe the evidence. So. Or just have a strong hunch. That everybody yeah, or, else is wrong and I'm right. Subjectivist, right? You believe that truth is whatever you feel inside. Yeah. And if you feel, if you, you know, have a piece about it in your head or in your heart or whatever, then that must be the truth. Yeah. So the problem with these relativism and subjectivism, these false views of truth, is that contradictions would be possible. Okay. Right. So, and if there's a contradiction then that means there's no ultimate truth. There's no absolute truth, and therefore there's no right or wrong. Now, this means then that the relativist, the person who holds the relative view, they can never know whether their view is true or if they're right about anything, right? They can't be certain that there is truth. They can't be certain that there's anything is true at all, including their own statement about relativism. Really? It, it's like a dead end. It's like a psychological yeah. dead end. Yeah, exactly. You it's like you're, you're you, cutting off the limb that you're sitting on. Yeah. So, but some people have that much faith in their own feelings that they, they feel like, you know, if I feel strongly about this, even if it doesn't make sense, I must be right. But yeah, feelings and, well, can deceive us just like anything else can. You know, when I was teaching this in class this morning, the kids said, you know, we hear this all the time in movies, you know, this relativism. They hear it all the time in movies and at school and people telling them stuff. So Right. Go with your feelings. Yeah, it's exactly. It's not surprising that people would be confused about this. And where in the curriculum today do you ever hear about kids learning about the laws of logic? Right, which we'll cover today. We'll talk about the laws of logic and how you can know when things are true and when they're not, and how to tell when people are lying to you. That's never discussed in school. They, they should you're... teach every kid this in elementary school how to figure yeah, things out logically. Absolutely. There's no reason. It's so simple, it's so basic that it can easily be taught in elementary school. So, what is truth? Let's, let's jump into the concepts of truth what can we know about truth what are its properties so first of all truth is absolute what do i mean by that <laughs> truth being absolute means it's true for all people in all places at all times right it's not relative it's not subjective it's absolute such as all human beings breathe air perfect a great example. It's not my opinion, right? Or it's not true for you, but I can breathe water, right? <laughs> it's not no. based on my feelings about air. It's the case, right? It's, it's what's true about the world. It's the actual reality. Right. The actual state of affirs. <laughs> there you go, as, as Joe would say. 
So truth is absolute. Truth is also objective, okay? It's outside of the situation. It describes reality. It's not dependent upon things. It's not dependent upon people. It's not dependent upon your feelings. And it's so not dependent it's, upon people's opinions. Exactly. So it's not subjective. Truth is objective, not subjective. Right. Now, the next point is a tough one. People don't like this, and this is why there is such a war against truth. Truth is exclusive. Okay, what does that mean? It means that truth excludes all other possibilities. When I say something true, it's excluding everything else that's not true. Oh my now, gosh, you sound like you're anti-choice. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it be nice if you could just interpret what I say however you wanted to, and you didn't have to actually hear what I had to say? <laughs> or, or if I said, buy gold, you could say, oh, Keith just told me to sell gold, <laughs> right? That's, so That's my opinion really, about what he said. <laughs> right. He really did, meant to say, sell it, not buy that's, it. <laughs> that's right. So... This is what makes communication possible, though, the fact that truth is exclusive. So and Why so much I of our communication today is so garbled up? That's right, because people don't realize this. Right. Now, think about it. If you're hungry and you want an apple, so, Kirk, you tell me, Keith, I'm really hungry. Can you give me an apple? So I run outside and I come back in with a gearbox. <laughs> okay. You know, what, what are you going to say? What's this? Right. Why did I you give me that? I didn't ask for a gearbox. If I say, yeah, but you asked me for an apple, right? Okay. <laughs> Isn't that an apple? No, no it's a that's gearbox. a gearbox. Yeah, that's, but you asked me for a gearbox, <laughs> right? This sounds See? like the inside of an insane asylum. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> so truth is exclusive. When you told me you wanted an apple, what you were actually telling me was was almost an infinite amount of information, okay? It was an infinite amount of things you didn't want, right? right. You don't want. When you say, I want an apple, it means I don't want a gearbox. Right. I don't want a fire extinguisher. Right. I don't want a glass of water. I don't want a lawyer. I want an apple. Right. So truth is exclusive. It excludes all the other possible possibilities and those other possibilities there's an infinite number it's not just the opposite of it some people will say well truth excludes its opposite well that is true but it also excludes all the other possibilities right, right? think about two plus two equals four right okay that's a gonna, true statement i was just going to say I, mathematics is a great example of what you're talking about exactly yep yep so yeah. when i say that what am i excluding well, I'm excluding an infinite number of possible answers. Every other number but four you're excluding. Exactly, which is an infinite number. Right. So uh, now you can also go to apples and oranges again. If I say apple, it's not an orange. It's not a banana. You know, how many fruits are there? But I'm also saying it's not a transmission, right? It's not the color blue. Right. And, and now you say, okay, but... How does this apply to religion? Well, in the same way. If Islam is true, then Christianity is not true. In fact, all other religions aren't true. Ju 
Judaism's not true. Mormonism isn't true. On and on and on and on. An infinite number. It could be an infinite number. And the other way around. Because each, each, the reason for that is each religion defines it tel- itself differently, and those definitions are all contradictory. That's right. Therefore, they're, they can't all be true. Religions are a description of re- reality or a description of the way things are. So it's, they're either true or false. Now, of course, you can have some, maybe a type of a religion or a cult or something that's got some things right, and some things wrong. And sure. even in things like major religions like Islam or Buddhism, when we've talked about those in the past, we've made it very clear that we don't mean that those religions are all wrong. No. Some Parts of their moral of are teachings true. are perfectly correct. Exactly. Islam teaches that there is only one God, and that's absolutely true. Uh-huh. So, but as a whole, for a system or for a religion itself... It's still not true. For instance, if, if you asked for an apple and I brought you only the outside of the apple, <laughs> the skin of the apple, and it looked like an apple, but it was hollow on the inside, that wouldn't be exactly what you meant, would it? No. No. When you said apple, you meant a real apple. A complete apple. <laughs> exactly. So claiming that something is true is exclusive. So truth is absolute. Truth is objective. Truth is exclusive. Now, if you're going to argue against that, let's say you're a relativist, you believe in the false view of that truth is relative. If you're going to claim that truth is relative, you're also being exclusive, right? Because you're saying that truth is relative, and therefore it's not other things, right? Right. Like you're claiming that it's not exclusive. Well, it turns out it really is exclusive, because even your statement that truth is relative is, a, is an exclusive statement, and it, it excludes other views about truth. That's true. <laughs> there you go. All right. Now, a fourth item about truth is that truth is discovered. It's not invented, right? It isn't. Truth just doesn't happen because you want to believe it's true, or so you make up your own beliefs, and then that becomes the truth. If you don't know the truth, you can discover the truth, right? You don't know what happened at the accident scene. So what do you do? Well, you read all of the reports by the different eyewitnesses and you discover the truth. Right. Or if you're not sure about what religion is true, you can actually discover the truth by examining the evidence. You know, in a trial I was in, I was, we were talking about evidence and the nature of evidence because one of the jurors thought that, in this case, a man and a woman had gone into a room. They came out a few minutes later, and the woman was beat up and crying. And this juror was trying to say, well, there's no evidence that the man beat up the woman, right? Even though she had bruises that she didn't have before when she went into the room, okay. and when she came out crying, right? So he said, you can't prove that because you weren't there. And I said, of course you can prove it. You prove it based on the evidence, right? The evidence is that eyewitnesses saw them go in. A few minutes later, eyewitnesses saw them come out. She didn't have, you know, he says, no, you can't prove everything with evidence. I said, name something you can't prove with evidence. You can't prove that God exists. Yes, I can prove that God exists with the evidence. So 
that's what we're here for, folks. Evidence for faith. (laughs) Evidence for faith. You can prove anything with the evidence. Truth is discovered. It's not invented. In fact, this is how you, one of the ways that you tell the difference between the truth and a lie. Because truth is, or truth exists, but lies are invented. So truth isn't what's invented, it's lies that invented it. If you invented something, a statement about reality, you have invented a lie. And that's one of the ways that you can tell that something's not true. If there's a lie and you made it up, since you're not omniscient, you're probably not accounting for all of the factors that go into your story about reality. So you're going to get tripped up. And, you know, this is a really handy, if you never want to get caught telling a lie, then guess what? Never tell a lie. (laughs) Tell the truth all the time and you don't have to worry about having a bad memory. Right. Right. Because if you've got a bad memory, I guarantee you somebody's going to catch you telling a lie. Because you're going to forget. You have to remember what your lie was and then each subsequent lie has to fit with the first one or else you blow your whole story. <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. In fact, one of the one of my students this morning said that they were watching a TV show and I forget the name of the TV show, but it has to do with these guys who can detect truth and I guess they're cops or something. And so what they did was they were interviewing somebody who they were certain was lying about a series of events that happened. Mm-hmm. So they asked the guy to tell the series of events in reverse well, to see if, they, if it had actually happened to him. Right. And he couldn't do it. It's harder to make something up in reverse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. But if it really happened <laughs> to you, you would remember it backwards and forwards because it really happened to you. You right. know that this happened, A happened, and B happened, and C happened. But if you're making it up, you're, you're memorizing it <laughs> forward, and you can't come up with it backwards. That's, That's really interesting. Gr- Isn't I'll that have a to great remember test? That. Yeah. So next time you think that a lawyer or somebody is lying to you or a salesman, tell them to tell, it, tell that story to you backwards. <laughs> I'm going to remember that. Is that good? Yeah. All right. So there are facets. Those are the descriptors of truth, the attributes of truth. Truth is absolute. Truth is objective. Truth is exclusive. And truth is discovered. Well, if you're just joining us, You're listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. And I'm Kirk Hastings. And we are talking about the nature of truth. What is truth? All right, let's go on with some more about truth. Kirk, and maybe we briefly touched on this a little bit earlier, but truth allows us to interact with reality. We mentioned that it allows us to communicate, right? So if you say, I want an apple, truth allows us to communicate. And without truth, we wouldn't be able to communicate. But it also allows you to interact with reality, right? right? The whole thing about crossing the road to get to the other side. How are you going to get to the other side if you don't know the truth about the situation? Are there cars in the way or not? And really, this does include religious and moral truth also, Think about what Jesus said in John 8:32. He said, "Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free." Okay. So there is truth about 
religious and moral truth, and truth allows us to interact with religious ideas and to moral realities also. It allows us to interact with those moral, moral realities. Now, before we go too much further, I want to get into how we can tell when we're being lied to, but there's an interesting kind of corollary to truth, and maybe if we have time, we'll get into more of that also, is what is knowledge? What is knowledge? Okay, we may know what truth is, but what does it mean to actually know the truth, to have knowledge? Okay, well, obviously, the first thing is you have to believe it, right? You have to be thinking it. If you're going to have knowledge, it has to be something that you actually hold, right? So, I believe that Kirk Hastings is a bachelor, okay? I have to have that belief. That has to be my belief, all right? Then the second thing is it has to be true. So if it's not true that Kirk Hastings is a bachelor, then it's not knowledge, right? I don't know that you're a bachelor. I just believe you're a bachelor, but since it's not true, it doesn't count as knowledge, all right? So what if I say, well, Kirk Hastings is married, all right? I believe it. And it's true, but does that count as knowledge? What if we were asking a stranger that we met in the street, is Kirk Hastings married? And he just gives a 50-50 guess. So he says, yes, I'm guessing that he's married. Does that count as knowledge? Right? Or what if I asked you how many marbles are there in a jar of marbles? And you guessed. And you got it right. So you, you claim there's 152 of them there. It happens to be true, but were you justified? You have to be justified in knowing that that or in believing that statement. So I'm justified in believing that Kirk Hastings is married because I've met his lovely wife. So I'm justified. That means I have knowledge. Okay, so that's how truth and knowledge interact. I thought that was important because just like people have trouble coming up with what is the actual definition of truth sometimes they have trouble coming up with the actual definition of of knowledge right that's interesting yeah so how do we keep from being lied to how can we can we use this knowledge about truth to keep from being lied to and i think you can and in fact there's a great verse in the bible colossians 2 8 that says See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So we ought to make sure that people don't lie to us, people don't deceive us, people don't tell us things that aren't true. For instance, you know, this cult that's uh, going around telling people that there's no such thing as the Trinity, that Jesus isn't God. We don't want to get pulled into those kinds of deceptions, and we have to know what the truth is in order to be able to distinguish truth from lies. In fact, I think I mentioned in one of the past shows that I have as a life goal, and I hope that other people will also have this as a life goal for your mind, is that you gain as many true beliefs as possible, and you rid yourself of as many false beliefs as possible. That's so, definitely been a goal of mine. There you go. And you've and you even wrote a book about your search for truth. Right. So if you think logically 
and you learn to recognize illogical assertions, then you can begin to distinguish the truth. So logic is the tool that helps us discover truth so that we can then have knowledge. We've got a few minutes left, Kirk, so maybe if you'll tell people about your book and give them kind of a rundown of what's in your book, that'd be helpful. Well, my book is called, coincidentally, What is Truth? And the uh, subtitle is A Handbook for Separating Fact from Fiction in a Propaganda-Filled World. And it was published in 2009. It's it's a paperback. It's available on Amazon.com. And basically, uh, I decided to just write down my search for truth over the past 30 or 40 years of my life what, you know what i what i did to try to understand what truth was and what brought me to where i am today and yep. uh, the evidence that i researched and the information and the knowledge that i read and looked up and uh, whatever i put a lot of that into the book and kind of outlined you know how my search went so in the search for truth, do you think it's important to be open-minded? Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, when I was in my mid-20s, I, I decided that, you know, I hadn't had anything to do with religion in my life up to that point. I hadn't been brought up with any kind of religious tradition, and, you know, religion was something that was foreign to me. I didn't know anything about it, and I really didn't feel the need to know anything about it until my mid-twenties, I started to think, well, you know, there's a lot of competing beliefs out there. Maybe I should start investigating this to try to figure out what, if any of them, makes any sense. And Absolutely. I started searching the evidence to gain, you know, the knowledge of which one, if any, uh, I guess, held more water than the others. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think being open-minded is, is incredibly important. You have to be open to new ideas, but I always tell people you have to be open-minded without being empty-headed, right? You don't want to just accept whatever people say. And right. unfortunately, there's just too much of that these days, people just accepting whatever they, they hear well, as I like the what, truth. I like what Ronald Reagan said once. One of his famous sayings was, trust but verify. <laughs> Ooh, excellent. Yeah, there you go. So you do want to be open, but you don't want to be empty-headed. And the other way, the other wrong way to go besides being too open-minded is being skeptical. So that's where you don't take in any new ideas. Now, what would have happened to you, Kirk, if you had been skeptical and you were just unwilling to accept these new ideas that you started looking at? Well, I wouldn't have gotten anywhere in my search for trying to understand anything. That's I right. came into the search with the idea that I'm going to research all the different religions of the world, and I'm going to keep an open mind toward all of them and see if the evidence leads me in any particular direction. Mm-hmm. And of course it so, did. You used a magic word, though. You used the word evidence. Yes. So it's not that you were just being so open-minded that you didn't have need any evidence— but you also were not so skeptical that you were rejecting the evidence. What you were really doing was balancing the evidence, yes. examining. So you were being critical. Yes. So I think it's healthy to be critical of new ideas. And that doesn't mean you reject them. That means you want to examine the evidence. You want to look at them carefully. 
You want to see what the opposing side says. Right. All of those are absolutely imperative for the search for truth. And Kirk, would you agree with me that the only thing worth your allegiance is that which is true? Yes, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. I mean, think about it. If it's not true, it's not worth anything. It doesn't work if it's not true. Imagine this. Say you have an illness and I give you a placebo, okay? A sugar and pill. You, that's right. Yes, a sugar pill. So I'm giving you fake medicine and I tell you this is medicine that's going to fix your disease. Now, right. let's say that the disease went away. Does that mean that that placebo, that sugar pill, caused the disease to go away? I would say no. No, absolutely not. Sugar so, pills don't have the ability to cure anything. That's right. So it's not so the just because you believed it didn't make the disease go away. Something else made the disease go away. And it could have been that it was your brain. It could have been that it was your mind and that you mentally were able to get rid of the disease or you were able to, you know, gather your immune system together and fight against it in your mind by believing in the pill, that might be a possibility, but it wasn't the pill that did it. No. It was something else. Maybe your mind, maybe it was just some other, you know, your own natural healing abilities that got rid of the disease. So truth is the only thing that deserves our allegiance. It's the only thing that actually works out there. If, you, if you're believing something because it makes you happy, even though you know it's not true, guess what? That's not what's making you happy. If you're a Buddhist because it satisfies you, it, that's not what is satisfying you, right? Untrue things don't satisfy. It might be your mental attitude, but it, that's not what it is. Right. Well, I guess that, that brings us to the close of the show today and I really want to thank everyone for listening to all of our thousands of listeners on around the world. Kirk and I thank you. You've been listening to Evidence for Faith. Please send your comments or your questions to email at evidenceforfaith.com. That's evidence the number four faith.com. Include the call letters of any radio station that you might be listening to us on if you're listening to the radio. And always remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true. Yeah!